If you're an accredited investor looking for an incredible opportunity to invest your money, I have exactly what you're looking for. I have put together a fund where we are loaning money to fix and flip investors for their investment properties. And I'm looking for investors right now. We provide steady income for our investors. We are focused on capital preservation. We have minimum target of returns that we plan on giving back to our investors. And this opportunity is incredible. Like I said, this fund is lending to the best of the best. And we're looking for people to come aboard and be investors and go along for the ride as this thing grows. I'm super excited about it. Right now, we're only talking to accredited investors. So if that's you and you want more information, reach out to me at mike at juststartrealestate.com and I will get you all the information. Guys, this fund is amazing and we are so different from everybody else. And one of the biggest differences, we don't just lend money to anybody. Anybody who comes along with an application doesn't get money from us. You have to have a track record. We have to know that your business is strong and healthy. And that's who we lend to because our commitment to our investors is that we will protect their money and we will give them consistent, reliable returns. Guys, if you're interested in this and you want to come along on that journey with me and my company, reach out to me now, mike at juststartrealestate.com. I cannot wait to talk to you. The stock market over the long term, right, over the last several decades has returned, I think on average, like 7%, 6.5% or 7% for the, in the stock market, right? So if they're just sort of like hitting those averages and maybe they're making 6 7%, and, and you ask them, what would make you happy? Like, what would make this a no-brainer for you to lend me money? And they say 8%, like, take it. Take it and run. Take it all day long because 8% is, is super good for real estate investing. Borrowing for six months, $150,000, $200,000, that's nothing. It's great, right? You're listening to the Just Start Real Estate Podcast. If you're serious about your real estate investing business and need real answers, you are in the right place. And now, your host, Mike Simmons. All right, thank you for joining me on Just Our Real Estate today. I have another great Q&A live that I'm bringing to you, the recorded Q&A live. Uh, it was an awesome one, guys. We had a really good time, a lot of good questions. Uh, we talked about building your team, uh, staging properties, uh, working with family, and whether or not you should borrow money from family members who are not in real estate but kind of want to get involved, uh, hiring based off of values, working with your buyers on your buyers list, just all kinds of real Really, really good, good stuff. Good questions came through this week, and it was uh, it was a really fun one to do. So I know you're going to love it, guys. If you have not yet given this show a rating and review, and you're enjoying it, please go do it real fast. It means so much to me. It helps us podcasters get found, and that's ultimately the goal for us: is to get found and to build our audience and be able to spread the news and to spread the help out as as far and as wide as we can. So if you go into iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, wherever you listen to this, and give me a rating and review, I'd really, really really appreciate it. Okay, guys, let's dive into today's show. All right, guys, we are live. Welcome back. Thank you for coming back. I appreciate it. And uh, I was gone last week, as a lot of you know, and uh, I am back now. I am live. I am opening up the uh, chat here so I can, I can see that. And let's get that pulled up so I can see everything. And I am going to pause that. Okay. All right, guys, here, uh, it's like riding a bike. I'm right back at it. I know exactly what I have to do to see all of your questions. And uh, believe me, this week, there are a lot of questions. You guys, we took a week off, and uh, I think that was good to let you guys really, really 
pound me with some questions, and that's awesome. <clears throat> so I'm not going to waste a lot of time with intros, uh, but I will say this. Uh, I was not here last week. However, I am here uh, every Wednesday, 7 o'clock uh, Eastern time. That's 7 p.m. Eastern time uh, and 4 uh, p.m. Pacific time. So if you are on the West Coast, you can tune in at 4 o'clock every Wednesday and see me uh, if you're on the East Coast, seven o'clock. And I'm excited to be back. I really have come to enjoy this. I enjoyed it from day one. Uh, but I'll be honest, I said this in the past, this was uh, something I had not done before, live Q&As, right? So whenever you're doing something new, it can be a little bit, you know, unnerving. And, and I was a little bit nervous about it when I started. I'd never done it before, but I really like doing it. I really missed doing it last week. Uh, so thank you for coming back this week and checking it out. And thank you for sending in the questions because uh, I just opened them up here right before we logged on uh, to the ones that you guys sent in to me. And um, there's some great questions here. And uh, yeah, this this could go for a while, so that's good. Uh, I will say too, guys, we are kind of right in the middle of our, uh, my, I should say, Business Fast Track Blueprint, the program that I put together designed specifically to help you guys either start your business if you haven't actually started yet, or grow your business, take it to the next level. How do you get from doing one deal uh, every couple of two or three months to getting two or three deals every couple of months to getting a deal a month to getting five deals a month and then beyond that? <clears throat> this program, I think is really changing some lives. I think it's really helping the folks that are in it. And I want you to be next. And you know, like anything that we do, uh, we try to get better every time. So the next time we offer this will be early September. I believe it's September 7th uh, is the next, the start of the next round. And it will be uh, everything it was this time and more. We're going to always try to improve as we go. Uh, so I encourage you guys to jump in there. Uh, I think that uh, I, you know, I've just worked with so many investors like all of you in the past, uh, hundreds of them, hundreds of them. And I've seen not only my experiences, which I've had a lot of those in real estate, but I've had the pleasure of working with people and seeing everything that they have gone through, both good and bad. And honestly, I really think that if you are at all concerned about how to get started, what do you do? How am I going to find deals? How am I going to fund deals? How do I evaluate a deal? Uh, how do I get all the documents that I need? All of that stuff. If you join the Business Fast Track Blueprint, I am going to, I've got you. I've got your back, right? I'm going to give you everything you need to get started. <clears throat> or like I said, if you're, if you need to scale, if that's where you are, like, hey, I'm, I'm doing a couple deals, you know, here and there, or maybe even a couple deals a month. And I want to, I want to level that up. I want to know what's next. How do I do that? How do I take my, my business from A to B or from B to, you know, L? Like, how do I do that? I, I'm here for you. I want to help you do that. So I can't help you though if you don't join in. If you don't get in the program, I can't really help you. So I would love to help everybody and just like open up my schedule and let everyone just schedule my time. But obviously that's just not going to work. It never will work. I value my time. You should value yours. And uh, if you get in the program, I promise you we'll make good use of both of our time. So that's my little spiel on that. <clears throat> All right, guys, send in your questions here live. I'm going to look at those too. Uh, but in the meantime, I'm going to hit some of these questions that I got over the last two weeks while I was gone. All right, number one, when renting out a property, what are some things that I'm not thinking about that I should be? I saw this question before I logged on, just happened to read the first one. And it made me chuckle because uh, I love the phrasing of the question. 
when renting out a property, what are some things that I am not thinking about that I should be? <laughs> I have no idea what you're thinking about. I don't know how experienced you are, but I'm going to name some things that I think a lot of people don't think about. Number one, make sure you're doing background checks on all of your renters, okay? Whether it's a property management company or you're using or you're doing it yourself, do background checks, check references, check all of their background, like look at their credit, look at all of that stuff. Don't just rent to the first person who agrees to your rental price, right? Like your rates, like really dive in and figure out who you're, who you're dealing with here. Um, chances are a lot of people are going to have dinged up credit. And that's, you know, it, a lot of times like the, the kind of like the, you know, the general wisdom here is if they had great credit and great income, they probably would be buying a house. <clears throat> it's not always true, especially nowadays. There are people who prefer to rent. So I get that. You may find people with great credit who want to rent. But in a lot of cases, you're going to be dealing with people who have dinged up credit. Just look why it's dinged up. Like look at the circumstances and really dig into that and find out what's happening. Look at their employment history. Look, obviously their income is important. Make sure they have cash reserves. Like just be real careful because it's that, you know, the saying, uh, measure twice, cut once when it comes to like carpentry or, or, or doing, you know, woodworking and things, you should really like check backgrounds and really do your due diligence hardcore so that you don't have problems for the next year or more that they're in the house, right? It can be fast and easy to get somebody in there. They agree to it. You know, they give you a, you know, a lot of cash up front or whatever, and then you have nothing but problems. And it's, it's just difficult to get people out of a house when they're already in and they've paid you some rent and then they stop paying or whatever. COVID restrictions obviously are having an impact on that. So just really do your due diligence, really dig into who you have. So that's one thing. Um, but then more from a, a deal analysis perspective, things that people don't always think about is putting aside money every month for maintenance. So if you have a house and you know, let's just say you're only clearing 50 or $100 a month on that house, if something goes wrong and you haven't been setting aside money every month to kind of take care of that, it could really eat into your, your rental uh, profits, right? So be real careful that you're not assuming that there will be no um, maintenance necessary. Now, if you buy the property and you completely renovate it, you're likely to not have a lot of maintenance on that house, but it really depends on what you fixed and what you repaired and what you didn't. I suggest nowadays, like I didn't do this when I started putting together my rental portfolio, but if I was going to start over or if I buy more rentals, I'm going to be real conscious of replacing things like the roof, the hot water heater, the furnace, the air conditioning, the windows, like all of the big ticket items. <clears throat> I would rather do those up front and budget those into my purchase price so that it makes sense rather than get hit with like a roof and a furnace in the same year. Like that would be catastrophic for most rentals. That's just going to blow up all your profits. So either do all of the big ticket items up front or budget accordingly every month when your rent comes in, put some aside for maintenance. So people forget about maintenance. <clears throat> Another thing people undervalue or they tend to kind of gloss over are vacancies. Your houses will go vacant from time to time. Now, everyone knows people and I know a lot of people who um who have had renters forever. Like they just they you know, they'll say these people have been here for 10 years. That's unusual. That's not the norm. It's the exception. Assume that you're going to have to turn this property over at least once every year or two. And so 
think about those vacancies, right? So if you, you know, if you build your model or if you your criteria for picking rentals is, you know, it'll cash flow a certain amount and and like you're thinking per year how much that's going to like profits you're going to make, but you have no vacancies in there. It's going to be a real shocker when it goes vacant for a month or two, right? So oh, I say I usually tell people to bake in one month of vacancy per year. I think that's decent. I think it's relatively safe. It's not super conservative. It's not super aggressive, right? Super aggressive is it'll always be rented. And if it goes vacant, I'll rent it that same week because I'm in a hot market, right? That's unrealistic and kind of aggressive. Conservative is, you know, having two or three months a year of vacancy. That's you just planning for, you know, disaster. So I say a month is good because even if it gets rented, you know, somebody rents it, you know, January and they stay for the whole one year lease, let's say it's a year lease, you know, by the time they move out, you go in and do your inspection, you do your turnover, maybe have to replace a few things, you know, you're going to eat up a few weeks. And by the time you find somebody else, like it's pretty tough to get it rented in quicker than a month. So it's probably going to be at least a month. If you want to, if you want to assume two months every year, I think it's maybe a little bit too conservative, but it's certainly not unrealistic or unreasonable. So I say at least one month a year, I would, I would assume. And then if it, if it gets leased or rented for like three years straight, you're ahead a little bit. And then when it does go vacant after three years, you know, you have a month or two to play with in there to get it rent ready and ready to go. <clears throat> so one month a year, I think is reasonable. Um, the cost of money. So depending on where you're getting money to buy this rental, whether it's the bank, it's your own private uh, personal savings, or um, you know, you're using some sort of a hard money lender or a private money lender, chances are, unless it's your money, you're going to be paying some kind of interest on that, right? So make sure you're counting that in when you're figuring out how much profit or cash flow you're going to have. Um, things like taxes. Look at the taxes. Sometimes people are, are um, surprised. They buy a rental that the price point, the purchase price makes sense and the rent rates are great. But then they look at the taxes and the taxes are astronomical in that area. So you have to be really, really careful about um, taxes and insurance. Make sure that you get those quotes and you know what that's going to be before you pull the trigger on a rental property. Um, and then at the end of the day, I really, I suggest for most people in most cases to use property management because a lot of times the reason why people are buying rentals is they want residual income. They want, um, you know, they want to, to not be active in their business. They want passive income, right? So passive income is not passive. If you're managing your properties and you're dealing with the maintenance issues and you're dealing with people who haven't paid the rent and you're dealing with evictions, you know, depending on how many rentals you have and the kind of due diligence you did up front to get the best renters possible, that may become a not so passive uh, investment strategy. So I really am a huge fan of um, property management and not, not all property management companies are made equally. They're not all created equally. So you have to really do your due diligence on those companies as well. Talk to some of the people who use them and look at their reviews if they have any and be real careful. But I think a property management company that's doing a great job can take so much off your plate and make the experience so much more passive, which is what most people want with rentals. They want passive. Um, I think that's the way to go personally. But still, when you're when you're evaluating that property, maintenance, vacancies, taxes, insurance, the cost of money, and turnover cost. We didn't. I didn't say that. The cost of the turnover itself. <clears throat> if you rent this thing out and and it gets sort of beat up every time that you have to re-rent it, you're going to probably have to go in and paint, do some flooring. 
you know, probably replace some loose faucets or handles or whatever. Like there's going to be maintenance. There's going to be a turnover cost. So you have to factor that in too. Okay. Uh, next question. What kind of team members do I need when managing my properties? Okay. So if you're going to manage your property yourself, I said it before, I, I really think you should seriously consider property management. I, I really do. I just, I can't tell you, I can't stress enough how much um, crap they will take off your plate. But if you're going to do it yourself, you're going to need um, someone doing background checks for sure. You're going to need somebody, even if it's just if it's you, it's fine. But somebody, and if you're going to build a team, because that's what I'm being asked, team members, somebody should be dedicated to those rentals, like keeping track of rent rolls, is rent coming in, um, maintenance issues, being on top of that, like somebody who's really on top of it. And depending on how many rentals you have, maybe that's not a full time job. Maybe it can be done in just a few hours a week, or if you have a big portfolio you may need one or more like full-time people that are on that. So somebody who's actually, whose job it is to, to manage the rentals on your team. Um, another person that I think would be not, it wouldn't be great. It's, it's necessary. If you have rentals, you need a contractor. You need someone who's going to handle the maintenance calls. And, you know, maybe that's a, a plumber, an electrician, a general contractor, or some sort of a handyman. That's fine. Uh, you know, all these things are going to eventually come up. Um, you don't have to have them on payroll, but you should have identified and know who it is that you're going to call when there's a leaky faucet or when there's a loose, you know, door that's loose on its hinges or whatever, you know, like something stops working. Like you need, you need someone that you can call to get that done because the last thing you want to be is a landlord who takes several days or weeks or worse, you know, months to fix things in the house. Like that's, you're starting to, to go down the path of being a bad person. And so I really think that you need to jump on maintenance stuff as quickly as possible. And you can only do that if you have like a Rolodex or like, you know, uh, uh, the numbers of people that you can call to take care of things when they come up. So someone doing background checks, somebody who's actually like managing the properties, like someone who's dedicated to that, that's part of their job and a good contractor, you know, that's, that's really it. It doesn't necessarily take a lot. It's just, everything scales up one property. If you, renovated it well, if you put really great renters in there, you may not have to do anything for months. Like there might be nothing other than just making sure the rent's coming in. But if you've got 50 rentals, you know, now you're talking about, you know, you might need two or three people full time, like just managing the situation. So um, that that's kind of, that's my answer for your team, I guess. And by the way, I, I use property management. So I don't have it. I don't build a team in house to handle this stuff. So, um, and I don't suggest you do either. Okay. For flippers in your audience, how important do you think staging home is to sell right now since the market is so hot? Do you think it's worth the investment? I have never been a huge proponent of staging houses for sale. And in this market, I really don't think you have to. I really don't. Like, you know, I just, I don't even know how property management or property uh, staging companies stay in business when the market's this hot. Now, there are probably plenty of people that would say, oh yeah, you're going to get more if you stage it. I don't know. In this market, I don't know about that. I think right now, if you're on the fence, just don't do it. Like don't stage them, but see how it goes. And if you don't get what you want, you can try it, right? It's, I think in business, everything is about testing. I really think you should do that. In this market, I just don't think it's necessary. But if you really don't know and you want to find out, there's only one way to find out in your market with your product, right? I don't even know how you're, how how well you're renovating the houses. Like some people renovate houses 
differently than others. And if you're doing like a minimal res- renovation and you're trying to cut corners a lot, I don't know, maybe staging would help. If you're doing just like a like a knockout, like total top of the line flip and you're renovating it like totally top notch, like homes and garden level, you may not need to stage it. But I say test it. <clears throat> stage one, don't stage one. Or stage your next one, don't stage the one after that if you're not doing a ton of deals right now. And just see which, which experience is better. You may sell it faster when it's staged, but in this market, I don't know what faster would be. Like houses are going up and down within 24 hours. Like they're going on the market and they're sold within a day. Some of them are sold before they even hit the market. <clears throat> so if you're trying to go faster than that, I don't know what kind of time warp you're, you want to get involved in, but I don't think you need it right now to answer the question. Just pretty straightforward. I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't bother. I didn't do it when the market was the other way around. When it was a slower market, I didn't stage. I'm just not a big fan of staging. I don't think it's necessary, but test it if you're really unsure. Uh, okay, next question. I have, let's see. Ba, 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 ba. I have read, I have, uh, I have a lead on a rental and the tenant has been there for years and the seller would like them to stay since they have taken really good care of the place, but the rent is below market. Would you purchase and move the tenant out? Or make a lower offer and try and keep the tenant in place or raise the rent and risk losing a great tenant. Okay, you've given me three choices, but I reject these are my only three choices. So um, number one, the second question or the second option was make a lower offer and try to keep the tenant. So this is my little soapbox answer to that. You should always be making a lower offer. I don't care if you're planning on keeping some tenant that's not paying market rent. Like, what do you mean make a lower offer? Like make the low, get the prices, get the house as low as you possibly can, right? That should be, let's take that off the table because if you're if you're making offers that aren't like low enough or you're not making as low an offer as you can get accepted, shame on you. You've got bigger problems than this, but that's just me. It's tough love, right? It's just me being a little bit funny. But make the, you should always be getting these deals as low as humanly possible. Okay, so I'm going to take that off the plate, the plate for a minute. So the question is, do you buy it and move the tenant out and risk losing them, or do you buy it and let them stay at that rate? Um, I, you know, I've done it both ways. I have a property now that I purchased a few years ago. The tenant was paying under market rent. And my goal was to get the house, get them out, re-rent it at market rent. Uh, I went and visited the tenants after I bought it. I was going to tell them what I'm what I'm doing. And when I got there, they were like super nice people. They were deathly afraid they were going to get kicked out, evicted. And I just made a I made a, a personal decision to let them stay at the rent that they were at. Um, I mean, you can call me soft. You can say I'm a sucker. You can say I'm not a good business person. It just felt like the right move for me at the time. Um, ethically, morally, I just, I just didn't feel like moving them out. So I let them stay and they're, they're there today and they've never missed rent. By the way, I sort of mentally said to myself, if they miss rent, if they start, you know, kind of jerking me around or they're not, you know, paying like they're supposed to pay, I will remove them. But they haven't. They've given me no reason to remove them. They've given me no reason to do anything like that. I know they can't afford higher rent and I've let them stay. I, you know, I, I look at it as, I don't know, maybe, maybe that's just a, a good, you know, good karma move or something. I don't know. I, I just let them stay. But obviously if, 
if it's about the rent and it's about the rate of return, or maybe you have partners or you have investors that are watching and saying, you know, we, we want to maximize this. I would always say, buy the property and let the tenants know you're going to raise the rent. I, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I'm not even saying that's unethical. It wouldn't have been unethical for me to do that. I just decided, I don't know if you can see, I think I lost my video. There we go. I think I'm back now. I don't think it's unethical to, uh, I bumped something. I, I don't think it's unethical to raise the rent. It's fine. I made a personal decision not to do that. Um, but I think buying it and raising the rent, and if they're willing to pay that rent, then they can stay, obviously. If they're not, then get somebody else in there. Because you, in most cases, if they're paying kind of way under market rent and you go in and you raise their rent and they decide to move, by the time you get somebody in there and get market rent, like the ROI is going to be better if you if that's what happens, then obviously if you keep them at a low rent. Like it's not like, you know, if that's market rent and the house is in good shape, the raise in rent will will definitely cover your losses during the vacancy, if that makes sense. So I say buy it, raise the rent. If they don't want to pay the the increased rent, then re-rent it. I, honestly, I don't, there's nothing wrong with that. I just I, I personally, I made the decision not to do that. I've done it the other way too, where I go in and I remove the renters, but usually it's because they haven't been paying rent or they're kind of being abusive to the house or something. And then I don't, I don't have you know any reservations about telling them they got to go. Um, but you know, it's, it's it's a little bit of a personal decision, uh, you know, to which way you want to do it. But I say buy it and just raise the rent and see what they say. Okay, I have friends and family members that are not involved in real estate and would like to fund my future flip projects. Do you have some thoughts on what I should pay any private lenders? Yes. Okay. Uh, I joke about this every week, it seems like, but I'm going to give you the short answer and then I'll explain. The short answer is you should pay them what they are happy with. And here's why. If they're not involved in real estate, they don't they probably don't have a concept of how much you can pay as a real estate investor. As a real estate investor with the kind of deals that we're doing, and I'm, yeah, you said future flip projects. So you're flipping houses. Typically, a house flipper needs the funds to purchase and renovate. The term they need that or the amount of time from like sale to sale is usually between four and six months. Okay. So you only need the money for up to six months. If you're only borrowing money for six months and you're not in a crazy expensive market like Cal, you know, Southern California, let's just say you're in a market where you can buy a house for $100,000, put 25 into it and sell it for 200, right? Something like that. And if that's too low, then just adjust for your market. But if that's the case, the difference between paying 15% and 10% is like not a lot. It's not a lot of money, okay? But the reason I say pay them what they want is because if they're not already in real estate and they don't realize that 15% in real estate, while high, is not a deal breaker. It's not undoable. It's not going to ruin your deal paying 15% versus 10. If they're not in that world, chances are what they want or what they what would make them happy to get as a rate of return is going to be way lower than you would be willing to pay them. Way lower, right? For the average person, even if they're investing in the stock market, right? The stock market over the long term, right? Over the last several decades has returned, I think on average, like 7%, six and a half or 7% for the, in the stock market, right? So if they're just sort of like hitting those averages and maybe they're making six, 7% and 
and you ask them what would make you happy? Like what would make this a no brainer for you to lend me money? And they say 8%, like take it, take it and run, take it all day long because 8% is, is super good for real estate investing, borrowing for six months, a dollars $200,000. That's nothing. It's great. Right now, if they're not investing in the stock market or they're not doing very well, or maybe they're putting their money into CDs or mutual funds, like there's a good chance they're making less than 7%. There's a really good chance they're making somewhere between zero and 4%. Like that's probably more average, more accurate for the average person. Um, and probably on the lower end of that. And so for them, they might say, I can make 6%. I would be ecstatic at 6%. I'm making three now. I would love to double what I'm making, right? Again, take that money all day long because that's an incredibly great rate. Now, what happens is, Let's just take that example, the person who's making, let's just say 3% on their money right now. And you as the nervous investor who wants to get, you know, wants to, them to lend money to them and you're desperate to do your deal and you know you can pay 15% and still super profitable for you. And you say, okay, Mr. or Mrs. Private Lender, uh, I'll, I'll pay you 15%. What happens in the mind of the person who's currently getting three and would be happy at six, but you didn't ask them what they wanted, you told them what you could do. You tell them 15%, it sounds like a scam. It sounds too good to be true. We, we're all taught that as kids, right? If it sounds too good to be true, it is. And so you tell someone who's currently getting three and they would be ecstatic with six, you offer them 15, they're going to start wondering what's wrong. What, 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 is, what are you trying to do with their money? Because it doesn't sound realistic. So the crazy thing is, counterintuitive as it sounds, Offering the average person less for their money is going to make them more interested and believe in what you're telling them more. It's crazy, but true. Trust me, it is. So I usually ask people in that situation, what would you be happy with? And, you know, 95 times out of 100, they're going to tell you a number that's lower than what you'd be willing to give them. And you take it. And you say, that's awesome. I can do that. And they're happy and they believe it because it's a reasonable number. It's just too high. Sometimes it'll scare them away. So be really, really careful about that. So the question is, how much do I offer them? Whatever they want. And if they want something that's outrageous and doesn't work for you and it doesn't allow you to be profitable, then you can always say no, thank you. Or you can counter. But I, I would say, let them tell you what they want. Let them tell you. And the way I would phrase it is exactly what I said. I would say, what what kind of an interest rate or what kind of a return would make lending me your money a no-brainer? Like what would make it so where you just, it's, you just couldn't say no? And let them tell you the number and watch. It'll probably be, be somewhere between 5 and 9%. I, I would be willing to bet all day long that it's going to be between 5 and 9%. And I say you should take that because hard money lenders or you know a lot of other places are going to be way more than that. And if we're talking about flips... When it comes to private money, the great thing is not just the rate, because the rate should be lower than what you would give a hard money lender, for example. But the even better thing about private money is all of the terms are very negotiable. So, you know, a hard money lender might only give you 80% of purchase price and maybe 90% or maybe 100% of, of renovation. And they're going to hold back the renovation money and they're going to give you draws as you finish the work, right? Which is fine. It's what they do. A private money lender, though, you can absolutely negotiate getting all of the purchase price up front, all of the closing costs, all of the renovation money, and a lot of times get that 
day one, get it up front so you don't have to ask for draws. And then a lot of times you can negotiate not making any payments to them until the deal closes. So maybe you don't even pay them anything for six months and you pay all that interest or, and everything at the end of the deal. Like that's what private money can be. That's why it's so powerful. And that's why everyone should be doing that. So that's the difference. And that's what I would offer them. Okay. Next question. What market are you in and how many wholesale deals are you doing on average a month? And what is the average property value of your deals? Okay. This is a totally fine question, but I get asked this kind of question all the time. And this benefits the... I don't know who asked it. I don't have a name, but it doesn't benefit you to know what I do, right? Because if I tell you I do 500 deals a year, or I do 50 deals a year, or I do 200 deals a year, it doesn't really get you any further to your goals. So this is more of like a voyeuristic question. You just want to know, which is fine. It's totally cool. So, and I'm, I'm very transparent about this stuff. So I've done about six, over 600 deals in the last six years. Okay, I've averaged about 100 deals a year in my business. Last year, I think we did 75. Um, COVID was a big reason. We, we stumbled for a few months at the beginning. This year, we'll probably do... I just talked to my partner about this. I'm estimating we'll do about 60. He thinks we'll do closer to 70 again. Um, so whatever that is, five or six deals. We're doing five or six deals a month right now. It's basically what we're averaging. So... Um, I think we're going to be probably closer to the 60, honestly. Um, but, you know, so we've, we've, re, we've, we've shrunk a little bit in terms of the size of our team. But last year, we were more profitable, like actual dollars in the bank at the end of the year, net profits, more profitable than we were in any other year before that, where we did more deals. Because we cut back, we cut a lot of fat, we changed our marketing a little bit, we cut out stuff that wasn't as profitable. And so we did less deals, made more money. Right. I think that's really should be everybody's goals. Less deals, more money. I mean, more deals and the same money doesn't help. More deals and less money, no good. More deals, more money is awesome. Right. So, um, but the, the bottom line is the net. That's what you really want to look at. And we netted more last year. So, um, so to answer your question, over the last six years, most of the years we did between eight and nine deals a year. Last year we did five or six deals. I'm sorry, eight or nine deals a month and 100 or more deals a year. Last year, we did five or six deals a month. And this year, we're going to be in that probably four to six deals, probably closer to five or six deals a month. So that's where we are. Uh, average property value. Again, as a wholesaler, we don't care what the property value is. We care what we make, our profits on it, right? So whether I, I, it doesn't matter if I sell a million dollar house and make 10,000, or sell a $100,000 house and make 10,000, right? The value of the home is irrelevant, but that's what you're asking. So I'll tell you the average house value uh, of the deals that we do is probably around 80 to $100,000, somewhere in there, maybe 120. Like that's kind of the range, 80, 80 to 120. Um, our profit margin on a house, we shoot for between 10 and 12%. That's pretty average for us, 10, 12%. Sometimes we make 40 or 50,000 on a deal. Sometimes we make five or 6,000. It just depends. But we, we try to hit at least 10 to 12% on every single deal. That's our kind of our, our line in the sand, what we want. Okay, what do you think about higher character train skill? I love it. I 100% agree with this. Um, I usually say hire uh, people who have the same values as your company and you do. It's same thing, character, values, similar terms. So I want to hire somebody with the right values and then we train skill. Now, the caveat to that is 
you can't, you shouldn't hire someone that doesn't have any of the skills necessary coming in to do the job and just like hire awesome people and then think that they don't have to have any skills. That's not the case. We still want them to make sense on paper on some level. But if you're asking me, do I want the rock star on paper who doesn't really fit the culture of my company or have someone who looks pretty good on paper, you know, decent, but they 100% match the culture and the values of my company, I'll take the person who matches the values and the culture and I will train them to, to be a rock star, right? I want someone who has that capability but they don't have to necessarily be a rock star right this second. I would rather take the good character fit, the good value fit, and then train them and make them make them great. It's it, it is always better, and I've done it the other way. I hired the rock star uh, who came into my company and just proceeded to wreck it, like just destroy it, like a like Godzilla just stomping on buildings, like just ruined the culture, pissed everybody off, and it was it was horrible. And we had to let her go. So uh, I would always bring in the good culture fit, somebody who fits well with us, has the same values and and train them up. That's just the better way to go. 100% of the time, by the way, don't even like think twice about it. That's the way you should do it, in my opinion. Okay, next one, last one. Let's see, so we're getting some here in the comments and we'll we'll kind of feather those in too. But last one, I, I think I heard you say that your whole team works from home. Are there some things you do to bring the group together in person? To build strong relationships. So um, last year, no. This year, not yet. And, and part of the reason is because uh, part of our team is virtual. So it, we can't bring them in person, really, not realistically. So we tend to do everything over Zoom. Um, but I've got a couple different businesses, right? So my real estate business, there are some local people that we do see each other in person from time to time. Um, the people who don't live in the United States, obviously we don't see them in person. And then I have like my podcast, right? And so I've got uh, some folks that work for me there. We meet in person once a quarter to talk about strategy and goals and set you know our agendas and things like that. So I would say once a quarter is a good, um, it's a good idea once a quarter to get together with the team and do those strategy strategy sessions and goal setting. If they're virtual, you know, you can meet whoever's in person, you can meet and then kind of zoom in or whatever the people who are outside of your market or outside of your physical location, you can bring those guys and gals in via Zoom or some other, you know, conferencing software. Um, but I think once a quarter, it's probably a good idea. If you're in a, in a physical location, like you have an office, when, when I had an office and I did for years, we did once, uh, once a week on Monday mornings, we would meet as a team. And we had our we had our team meeting. That's how we did it, um, which is great. There's a lot of advantages to that. We chose and decided to move into more of a virtual setting for people, uh, for a number of reasons. But um, when you're in that setting, it, it becomes a little more challenging. Certainly, in person is out of the question for people who don't live in the country. But I think once a quarter, it's good to bring everyone together in a room, in person or virtually, just to strategize and talk about you know goal setting and things like that. Um, okay, guys, that is the last question that I see. And I'm looking here. My team is working diligently in the background to add things, but I don't see any other questions right now. So I think I am going to call it for this Q&A. Guys, don't forget, I am here pretty much every Wednesday unless I'm out of town, which was last week. But for all intents and purposes, I am out of town um, You know, about three or four times a year. So pretty much every week I'm here on Wednesdays from 7 o'clock p.m. Eastern starting and four o'clock uh, p.m. Uh, Pacific. 
So you can log on anytime, ask me questions. If you're not able to make this Q&A, you can send me questions at mike at juststartrealestate.com. Or you can log on here on Facebook. You can send me a message here on Facebook, ask questions that way. Uh, also, guys, if you are struggling in your business in any way, if you're trying to get it off the ground, trying to get started, you don't know what you don't know, you need help, you want advice, how do I find deals? How do I fund deals? How do I analyze deals? How do I flip? How do I wholesale? What's the process? I don't get it. I've got questions. I've got a solution for you. It's called the Business Fast Track Blueprint. It's my program. I put it together for people just like you. If you're listening to this saying, <clears throat> I've already started my business. I know what I'm doing. I just can't seem to grow it. Like I hit a ceiling. I can't get any more deals than I'm getting. I'm running around like crazy. Like, what do I do? How do I grow this into something that runs without me being there every day? I've got you too. It's called the Business Fast Track Blueprint. Guys, I'm here for you. I want to help you, but I can't help if you don't get involved. If you don't join the program, I have no great way of helping you because, listen, I value my time and I know you value your time. So I want to put my time with people that actually value their time and want to move their business forward. And I've Create an environment to do that. If you go to businessfasttrackblueprint.com, there's a link here in the chat. Go check it out. I want to help you out. I, this year is salvageable. If you've not gotten to your goals, and if you're not on pace to get to your goals, it's salvageable, guys. We're only halfway through. We've still got enough year that we can make a significant impact and reach those goals, but not if you don't change something. If you just keep doing what you're doing, you're going to keep getting what you're getting. I say change what you're doing jump into the program. Let me help you, right? You have everything to gain and really nothing to lose. So go check it out. Businessfasttrackblueprint.com. Click the link in the chat here. I want to see you on the other side, but if I don't, I'll see you next Wednesday. All right. I hope you enjoyed that. Remember, I do these Q&As live on Facebook on Wednesdays at 7 p.m. Eastern, 4 p.m. Pacific. I hope you enjoyed this. Tune in next week for another installment of live Q&As answering your questions. Okay, until next time.